Good morning, y'all. If you got your Bibles, <clears throat> go to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 1. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, truly help us to focus our hearts and our minds on you, God. Allow us to hear and to understand, Father God, and to give us the grace to live what it is that we hear and what it is that we understand and help us to love you and love your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And we're transitioning into getting a fuller understanding of what it means to be saved or what is true salvation. And what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is somewhat of like prerequisites for salvation. The stuff that saved people do once they are saved or to get saved, however you want to say it. And the overall theme of all those things is faith. That when we're talking about confessing our sins, when we're talking about being baptized, when we're talking about repentance, all we're talking about is believing in Jesus and wholeheartedly surrendering ourselves to him. Whatever it is he called us to do, whatever it is he say, that we trust him and we rest in him and we don't seek for salvation in any other thing. And so we understand that's by getting dipped in the pool and going through an act of baptism, that does not save us. But we do those things out of hope and out of expression of faith and trust in God that he himself will save us, that by, by surrendering to him and, and participating in his death, that we are being washed, that we are being cleansed, cleansed, and that we will rise in the newness of life. It's all an expression of faith. But one funny thing about faith in our day and our time is that, like I said, that word has become so vague and what does it mean to believe in God becomes such a mystery that we miss out on a lot of the great parts of the faith. And we talked a little bit about how we can only have faith in a person by understanding their character and knowing their word. So it's through the, the promises of a person and the character of a person that we express. Oh, that's the only way we can have faith in someone. But along with that, the promises in the character contains meaning. In the things that we claim that we believe in, those expressions have meaning. So when I say that I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that expression has to have some meaning, some relevance that I can explain that could be understood more than just the statement itself. And it's in that that we're going to try to progress to before we get understanding of what salvation is. It's what is the content of our faith, what it is that we truly say we believe once we start saying all these Christianese terms. And we're going to pick up with a fundamental one that our culture challenges a little bit. Starting in verse, I mean, first one of chapter 15, it said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all 
the apostles. And of last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was, was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached and so you believe. Now, this is Paul summing up his letter to the Corinthians. And here he deal with a whole lot of things. But the top, the capstone of what he's getting to, he sums it up in here. And he says that I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you and what you also received. So the things that he's declaring to them, he sums it up. This is the gospel. This is the good news that I was going around preaching. And the amazing thing that he puts in there, it says in verse 2, said, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. And what he's saying there is, this gospel that I came and I declared to you at the beginning, this gospel is the thing that saves you if you keep it in mind. If you hold on to it, if you memorize it, if you store it up in your heart, this gospel is going to bring salvation to you. If you forget it, if you lose it, if you let it slip, you believed in vain. And basically your, your hope, your turning, your repenting was empty if you don't hold on to this gospel. And it is the pushing that I'm going to be pushing over these next couple of weeks. We need to hold on to this gospel. We need to learn it. We need to memorize it. And we need to understand that this is the thing that saves us. This good news about who Christ is and what Christ has done on our behalf. But the point we're going to stick on today is he made the statement by which also you are saved if you keep in mind. So is Paul saying that this gospel saves these people because they believe it? Is he only talking about these people? Like this gospel saves y'all. Y'all got saved by this if you hold on to it. And the reason I ask this question is we live in a day and a time and an age where religion, quote unquote, our faith is a personal thing. That we all got our own relationship with God and this is our personal matter. And the only wrong thing you can do in our day in our society is tell other people they're wrong about what they believe about God. Like you, you got your faith, I got my faith, you got your God, I got my God. And I was at a wedding a couple of days ago and my wife scoffed at me because there was this one statement, beautiful ceremony, beautiful, I enjoyed it. But the preacher man made this one statement and it sounds good and it sounds deep. And he's telling the lady her vows and a part of her vows he told her to recite was you're going to devote yourself wholly to him and his God shall be your God. Quoting from Ruth. Like, man, they brought quoting the Bible. Now, deep. And I like, made a little comment. My wife, like, what you talking about now? <laughs> and so I asked her the simple question. What if he switched? What if he changed God? If she hold to her vow, she would have to change. Because the preacher made her promise that his God was going to be her God. <laughs> It's like, that's a little bit deep. But then the question comes to me because 
lady boss was like, Jane, I've been hanging around with him too long. I got a critical spirit. <laughs> Is Does that matter? Like, do small little things like that matter? Does it make a difference? I'm saying the preacher was quoting the Bible and he was being deep. And I just want to take that man's words and just delve all deep into it. Forget about the whole rest of the ceremony and all the other good stuff he said and focus on this one little bitty thing. And as I think about it, like that makes a big deal. Because one of the things that distinguishes us as Christians is our claim to the gospel. And one of those claims that makes us so distinguished and that makes people hate us so much is they brand us with trying to be exclusive. What I mean by that? That we make it seem like Jesus is the only person that can save people. Like, is that true? Are we going too far when we hold up Jesus as the only way of salvation? Aren't we got to the point where we so... um, Civilized now that we can see and understand all these various dis- different perspectives. Y'all seen the bumper stickers that we need to coexist. And they had a little Star David and they had a little Muslim sign on it and all those various religious symbols telling us that we need to get along. Can't we all just get along? Is that a part of our faith to believe that Jesus is the only way? And there was this um, one devil on TV. Damn, it is a devil. There's one devil on TV on a whole entire network. But this devil claims to be a Christian. This devil claims to be a Christian. And this devil preaches a multiplicity of faith. I'm saying if you watch this devil's network, you see New Age folks on there, you see Muslim folks on there, you see all these various beliefs and they all are being endorsed by this one devil. And she have pastors on there too. I mean, the devil have pastors on there too. <laughs> but this devil in her claim, in, in their claim of, <laughs> of being a Christian makes the statement that Jesus is salvation for me. It may not be the way of salvation for you. Are the rest of the world. But Jesus is the way for me. And people applaud this devil. And hold this devil up. As being a standard of. A, a refined and a sophisticated belief. And faith and understanding. Of what it means to be a Christian. Because Christians we're supposed to love. We're supposed to be accepting. And that means everybody is right. Except for the people who call the folks wrong. And it's another thing. That all this stuff been going back through my mind. A little while ago. Actually, quite a few years ago, the great evangelist Billy Graham was doing an interview. And he made the statement, and I pray to God that he recanted of this statement. He said that he believes that everybody who lives a, a righteous and devout life is saved by Christ, whether or not they know Christ or not. Like, hold up. Like, this is Billy Graham. And he said he know Buddhist friends who he believes are going to be saved by Christ. And he got Hindu friends and Muslim friends because they live a very virtuous life. They separate themselves from the moral evils of their society. And they live an upright and outstanding life. And he cannot conceive in his mind how these people cannot receive salvation. 
And so we got this concept of what some theologians refer to as the cosmic Christ. And it's the idea that Jesus saves everybody without revealing himself as Jesus. So if you're following the the path of Muhammad, you're actually following Jesus because Muhammad teaches you the same thing that Jesus would teach you. And so you end up saved just like the Christian would end up saved because all y'all believe in the same thing. And the question becomes like, is it that deep? Are we going too far? I heard one preacher even say that the only way people are damned is through rejecting the gospel. So if we want the world to be saved, let us stop preaching. This These real people out there preaching got millions and thousands of followers. Like the only thing that saves people is rejecting the gospel because God's mercy is so great, he's going to accept everybody. And so the only thing you can do to not be saved is to blatantly reject the gospel. So when you're out ministering to people and trying to show them the love of the gospel, you're giving them a chance to not be saved because they can reject it and end up damned. So all you need to do is just love and embrace people and allow them to be who they are in a loving and accepting way and Christ going to get them to salvation. Because there's many ways to God, there's many ways of salvation, and there's so many vast forms of religion that it don't even matter. And the question for us is, is this true? Is it essential for us to believe that Christ is the only way of salvation? Like, do the Bible really teach that? Go to um, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We'll start at verse 18. Says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth the son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm going to pause right there. Now this is the announcement of Jesus' birth. The Christmas announcement. And Jesus is declared here. His name is explained to Joseph in the dream. All right, so don't run away from this lady. She's going to have a child, and the child is going to be from God, from the Holy Ghost. And his name shall be called Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. And what Jesus means is Yahweh saves, or the salvation of Yahweh. Yahweh is salvation. So what he's telling you is that God going to save his people. And it's going to be through this child. That's why you're going to call his name Jesus. Now, what a lot of people do with this text and with this scripture is they take it just like it says. And they say Jesus going to save his people. Jesus was a Jew. And so then the people Jesus supposed to save. Jesus coming down and he going to save his people from their sin. So Jesus, the Messiah, the hope of Israel is just that. The hope of Israel. This is the Jewish thing. 
in the white man that tricked all y'all people and told y'all that this stuff is for y'all. They stole it from the Jews. And now they're pimping it to y'all because this Jesus stuff wasn't even for y'all. That's the way a lot of people take this. This Jesus stuff was just for them Jewish people. And they didn't even want them. The white man came and stole them. And now he's trying to give it to y'all. Y'all don't supposed to believe in Jesus. Jesus for Jewish people. At best, Jesus is just for them folk way back then. That we had our own saviors. We had our own people. There are books called the 12 Christ before Jesus. That all these different salvations and all these different paths we got. Jesus was just for those people. Yeah, Jesus is going to save and Jesus is a savior. But Jesus is just that. A savior. Not the savior. And the question is like, hold on, what the Bible got to say about that? Because Paul said the gospel that he preached was according to the scriptures. That he didn't preach Jesus according to history. He could have done that because he made reference to what happened. Like, hey, these dudes who saw Jesus alive, some of them are still here. We can go talk to them. And I'm preaching to you the facts of what I know. No, he said these things are based according to the scriptures. And that's why faith and our hope lies according to the scriptures. Let's look at it one more. Let's dig and just twist this thing up a little bit. Acts chapter 17. Is Jesus just the Savior just for folks who say Jesus is they say? Can you pick and choose, say? That what AA said you could do. Yep, that's what they say. You choose your own higher power. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. AA start with Christian. Verse 22. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Uh, this is Paul preaching on this place called Mars, Mars Hill. Now he'd been in this city. He'd just been waiting on some folks to come to him. And while he was in the city waiting, he was just hanging out in the marketplaces, listening to people's conversation. Paul was uh, eavesdropping, I guess. And he hearing all the various things, and he began to strike up some discussions about God. And so they took him to this place where the deep folks was, and they allowed him to speak. And this is his speech. He said, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. So what Paul noticed when he was going throughout the city, just hanging out, waiting on the people to come to him, is like these people worship a whole lot. Like they were very religious. It's like, I perceive you too superstitious. And they wanted to cover all bases. So they had all these altars to all these various gods. And they even made one to this God we don't know. Like if we forgot about one, we make him an altar too. <laughs> so Paul was like, hey, to that one you forgot about, the one you don't understand, I'm going to teach him to you. Because they had all these various altars. He says in 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither was worshipped with men's hands as though he need anything, seeing he give it to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men 
to for to dwell on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our beings, as certain also of your poets have said. For we are his own, also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by the art and man's devices. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Because God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, they mocked him. Now notice the expanse of Paul's preaching here. What nation of people was he talking about when he was preaching? Like what people group did he confine himself to? Did you notice it? He said, all men, God made all men of all nations from one blood and he has set up this thing. He created all men. We all live and move and have our being in him. And one day he's going to judge all men through the man that he hath ordained. So the, the message that Paul is preaching, he thinks in his mind that it applies to everybody, even his religious people. Now he opened up with y'all are too superstitious. In the words of the apostle, like these are spooky people. Like they got religion down. They, they got their practices. They got their worship services. And Paul is calling these people and preaching to these people and declaring to these people that God is going to judge y'all. And right now he's calling everybody everywhere to repent. So in the mind of Paul, the gospel, the message of God, the nature of God and the judgment that's going to come through Christ. That's the man that God ordained that he going that he raised from the grave. He going to judge everybody. So once we look down at the, 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 the Igbo people in Nigeria and they got their own religious beliefs that go way back when. And we can't say that what they believe in their ancestral worship is good for them and we need to lead them alone. Because God accepts their worship. It's out of a true heart. It's, it's out of a love and devotion towards God. Paul said God winked at that at one time. Meaning God didn't delve too deep into it when he extended to all nations. But now he is calling all men everywhere to repent. So for those people who worship these false gods, who had all these other idols, who lived in all these various religious ways, he said, God, God had a little mercy on you before, but now he's calling all men everywhere to repent. So that means all the folks. No matter where they come from, no matter what their religious beliefs is, no matter what system of worship they were raised in, God is demanding them to repent and to find him and to worship him, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. That's the call that we have. And so when we're going out into the world, we're not calling people to follow a religion. We're calling people to know God. Because that's the only thing that matters. And it don't matter what their religion is. If they don't know God, then they are doomed because Christ Jesus, the man who he has appointed, going to judge everybody. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And this is the expanse of the message. So when you got devoted people walking around in all their devotion and you see, man, they live better than some Christians I know. That don't mean they know God and that don't mean that they're safe. Because God is calling men everywhere to repent. And this repentance is for all nations. And this repentance is a turning to him. And we're going to be judged by 
the one man that he's ordained, everybody is going to be judged by this one. So if you're Muslim, you're going to be judged by the man that he ordained. If you're Buddhist, you're going to be judged by the man that he ordained. No matter what your religious preference is, no matter what your religious history is, if you were between your ancestors or whatever it is, even all these deep woke folks who try to regather some of their lost religions that they don't even know what it is. They still going to be judged by the man that God ordained. And so the question becomes the man that God ordained when he judges us, what is it that he going to judge us about? What, what, what did Jesus think about this stuff? Like, what do Jesus believe about salvation? What do Jesus believe about the way to God and, and the way to be redeemed? Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Starting at verse 1. John 14, starting at verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And where I go, ye know, and the way you know. Now, this is Jesus. He's giving hope to his disciples. Now, the amazing thing is, before this, he's been telling them all this time about how he's about to die. And the whole thing is over, and he's finna go. And this is his response to his message of death, saying, don't let your heart be troubled. So don't get all anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And he gives them a hope and a promise that I go to prepare a place for you and that I go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. So God gives this picture of that in his going, in the, the activities that he's about to participate in, is a part of preparation for us to have a place. So he's getting the spot ready. And, and, and just think about that. Like, Christ is working to give you some place to live. Like, Habitat for Humanity. Jesus, the first one. <laughs> Man, he out there building. You ain't got to get no mortgage. That Jesus is preparing a place for you. So when he now when he's speaking, he's speaking of destiny beyond here. Like, I'm going to prepare a place for you and that where I'm going, you're going to be with me. And that is the hope that we have, that one day once we leave this planet, we leave this earth, we leave this dirt bag that we call a body, we're going to be with Christ. We're going to be with Jesus. And it's going to be a place prepared specifically for us. It's designed for me. He has me in mind while he's making this place. It's my home. This earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. And God so cares about you that he's preparing a place for you. That the day that you show up for him, God ain't going to be like, oh, Lord, she made it. <laughs> God, oh, oh, that, let, let, let's see, stick her in the back. <laughs> Till we get so No, he, he, he ready. He got a, a place prepared for you. And, that, and that's, like I said, we think about this stuff. This speak deep. And it speaks to our destiny beyond here. That my hope extends beyond the grave. My hope extends beyond my life right now. My hope extends beyond my current circumstances because God got something for me. It's deeper than that. Just think on that. What that does tell me about me. That I'm of such value 
that the king of the universe takes time to build on my behalf. That's deep. The king of the universe takes time to build on your behalf for your benefit. That's the value that you possess. And what did you do to get it? Absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, you did everything to lose it and not deserve it. But he's still working and he's still building on your behalf. That also tells me that the me that exists now is going to exist beyond this place. Like, this thing amazes me. All the church folks I run into that believes in reincarnation. That's like, perplexes me. Like some deep church folks that think that reincarnation is real. And what reincarnation is is that after you die, you're going to come back. And you like gonna be an animal or some other type of being or something. There's a lot of church folks that really believe that. But Jesus ain't preparing no place for no cat. Like that ain't your grandma. It's like, man, grandma died and, and that black cat walked and stood in the window. That, 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 that granny right there. That, that, ain't, that ain't your grandma. <laughs> that, that, that's not her. Christ is prepared a place for you, a human being. And he's deeper than that. He said he's going to come back and get you. That where he is, you may be also. So this, the things that he's talking about is hope beyond the grave. Please, if, if, if you believe reincarnation, please stop. <laughs> you exist for eternity as you in the presence of God are absent from the presence of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. But Jesus didn't believe in that. Jesus wasn't no Hindu guru. Jesus is the savior of the world. And Jesus is preparing a place for you. And he's going to come back and get you. So that you could be with him. He ain't coming to get no angel back. Now, no Tyler Perry made the movie and it looked good with the lady floating in the air after she died. That's a lot. You ain't going to get no wings and become other type of being. God making a place for you. And he's going to bring you to himself. He's going to bring you to the place that he is. That's the hope of eternity. Now watch this. In verse 5. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? So he just called Jesus a lie. Because Jesus told him, you know the way. He said, no, we don't. (laughs) Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's deep. Read that again. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus' belief in this thing is the only way that you get to be with the Father is if he take you there. Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So if you want eternal life, you got to get Jesus. He is the life. If you want to be resurrected in the last day, John 11, he tells us he is the resurrection in the life. Everything that we need, Christ is, all our hopes, he is, and he is, and Jesus is very not modern. Because he says nobody. He don't exclude anybody. Nobody comes to the father but by me. So the only way that a Hindu can make it to heaven, to make it to be with the father, can make it into the very presence of God himself is a Hindu follow Jesus. Now, notice 
the, the next thing that Jesus did that's very not modern. And it's very blasphemous, some of the stuff that we do. Because we compare Jesus to all these other quote-unquote religious leaders. And we talked about Jesus versus Muhammad. We talk about Jesus versus Buddha. And Jesus versus Vishnu. And all these other type things that are going on. Jesus versus Confucius. Now, one thing that Jesus does that separates himself from all these people, this is just one, is that Muhammad came to teach you what? Anyway, he had a path that he came to, to get the people to follow. And he himself had to follow that same path. He came to show you something. The dude Guatemala that we call the Buddha. Not Buddha, not enlightened at all. He had a path that he was trying to get people to follow. And so all these other religious leaders tried to show you a way. They tried to teach you. They pointed to something beyond themselves as being the purpose of life, as being the hope for escaping the tortures and torments of everyday life. They pointed to something beyond themselves. But Jesus did a complete different thing. If you want to get to the Father, if you want to make it, what he said you got to do? Come through me. I'm not coming to show you a way. I'm not coming to teach you a path. I am the way. There is no other way to God. There is no other hope of salvation apart from Christ and Christ alone. He is all we got. Acts chapter 4. Look at it. Acts chapter 4. Verse 10. We'll start at verse 10. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. All right, this is Peter preaching. After they got arrest, arrested. It said, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, though this man stand here before you whole. It's talking about the dude that they healed at the gate called Beautiful. So he, this is, he, he, he laying it down. 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Said so now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that, we, that they were unlearning, ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. This is deep. So they questioning them by like, man, what give y'all the right to come up in our temple healing people and doing all this other stuff? Peter steps up and he tells you, it's Jesus Christ and by his name was this man made whole. No other thing. By the name of Jesus did this happen. Then he turns and says, there is no other name given under heaven why we, by men must be, must be saved. So the only way salvation comes is through the name, through the power, through the authority of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. There is no salvation outside of Christ. And the response that they give, they say they heard the boldness or they perceived the boldness of Peter and John. These dudes stood in the midst of these people, people who hated Jesus, the very people who crucified Jesus. And began to declare to them, Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only way. Like that, that's, that's a bit strange. That, that put the picture in your mind. At least a couple months ago, we got the exact timeline. 
that Pentecost was 50 days after the crucifixion. And this was a little time after that. So they even say a year ago. These dudes were hiding in a house, locked away, thinking that all hope was gone. Running, scared for their life because they seen the hope of their salvation get beat and brutally murdered. Crucified, hanging on the cross, shamed before the whole world. These same dudes was huddled up in the house high. This same Peter got scared of a little girl and got to cussing her out <laughs> to tell her he ain't had nothing to do with Jesus, that he don't even know that dude. This same Peter. In between that point and the point where we stand now, the Holy Spirit came upon them and brought to them a great power that declared them to be witnesses of God. And look at the outflow of their witness that in the midst of the haters, the very people who they were running from, that in the midst of the very people who taught them about God, that they declared that the only way for y'all to be saved, the only way for salvation to come is through this dude that y'all don't like. Standing up boldly. They could have said, man, Jesus is the way for us. I'm saying God gave y'all sacrifices and that God, that good you do that sacrifice thing. I'm saying keep that up. God is pleased with that. But if you really want it, I'm saying go deeper. You need to learn about this Jesus. He didn't do that. That's what a scared dude. That's probably what I would do. I'd be like, hold up, man. Y'all got me out here. They didn't arrest me. <laughs> uh, see, see, um, like Jesus, um, Jesus, Jesus, well, uh, he, he was a great man, and he, and he told us we supposed to preach. And I, I ain't trying to offend nobody. I know y'all got y'all religious thing, and that good. But Jesus just helped me, and, and that, that, I, that's all I was just trying to help some people. That, that about how I would took it. I'm just being honest. I'm, I can be scary that time. But Peter, under the power of the Holy Ghost, he just came and declared, can't nobody else be saved but through Jesus. And the response that they get, they saw their boldness and they perceived what about these people? Did you read it? Did you catch it? Did you, did you, did you catch it? Read verse 13. What, 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 what they say about these folks now? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned, ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that what? They've been with Jesus. Like these, I'm a Jesus folk right here. What did they do to declare themselves to be the people of Jesus? They stood up and boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus. And did it uncompromisingly. And did it in a manner with, 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 with some force and with some power that all the people can say, well, hmm. And it's because of that standing, that power that radiated from them, these people understood that these people were with Jesus. That these just ain't just some, some regular little religious folks to try to, they perceive that they have been with Jesus. How do they perceive it? Just from their speech. And there's a speech that characterizes us as the people of God. And one of the four point, for most points of that speech is our understanding of who Jesus is. We don't blink on that. We don't compromise on that. Jesus is the only way. There is no other hope. 
there is no other salvation. And it extends even to our Christian brethren. That's why I make a big deal about the deliverance ministry. That's why that's such a big deal to me. Because deliverance ain't the way. Sitting in a dark room with napkins and spitting and coughing, that ain't what saved you. That's not the power of God unto salvation. Having some man lay his hands on you and declare all your past and what your uncle and them did and how they was in the masons and your mama was a voodoo doctor, that don't save you. The only thing that brings salvation is Jesus. And the only reason we do anything we do is because Jesus told us to. The only hope we have is Jesus. We don't have to learn no seven steps. We don't have to learn no practices. We don't have to find no books, the secret keys to the kingdom. Ain't no secret keys to the kingdom. Who got the keys? Jesus. And he gave them to his apostles. Because that key is the gospel. There's no other name by which we must be saved. There's no other power. There's no other authority. There's nothing else we can do to find salvation. Jesus is it. And if you put your hope in any other thing, your hope is not in Jesus. Even as we minister the gospel, if we put our hope in any other thing, I don't lay hands on people hoping that they're going to see these signs and they're going to get saved. The only thing that's going to save them is Jesus. We don't give prophetic words hoping that I'm going to amaze somebody and they're going to learn the gospel. The only thing that's going to save them is what? Jesus. That's the only hope we got. And everything we do is out of love and devotion to him. Watch John. He was one of them dudes that were with Jesus. Now John do this the worst. Now if you want to offend people, make them read John's and John's letter alone. Now John got to go to first John. John got the crazy idea that Jesus like is the, the most important thing on the planet. First John chapter 2. Verse 21. First John chapter 2 verse 21. We're going to take a couple passages from John and we'll bring it on home. Verse John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 verse 21. Say, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denied that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denied the Father and the Son. That's deep. Read that again. Who is a liar but he that denied that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denied the Father and the Son. So what John is saying is, this is how we know who a liar is. Whoever tell you Jesus ain't the Christ, they lie. That's deep. But that also compacted and it has meaning to it. Because there are a lot of people who would tell you that Jesus ain't the Christ without telling you that Jesus ain't the Christ. Like them folks who, who ride around on them bikes. They call themselves Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they out there, they preaching about Jesus. And they tell you that they believe that Jesus is the Christ. But they don't. Because Christ has a meaning that they don't accept. Because a part of the Christ, a part of being the anointed one, is you being the everlasting God. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Part of being Christ is that you being the mighty God. But they said Jesus ain't that. So you're like, man, them dudes ain't lying. They believe in Jesus. Yes, they are. They are liars because they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny the, the very divinity that makes Christ who he is. They deny the very divinity that makes Christ available for our salvation. God is the only one that can forgive sins. Jesus claimed he forgives sins, which means he claiming to be God. 
So if you deny the divinity of Christ, you're denying who Christ is, which makes yourself a liar. So we have to understand what it means when we say that we believe Jesus is Christ because if we deny any of those things, if we deny the attributes of Messiah to Christ, we're denying Christ and we don't have God or we don't have the Father. And read 23. He said, whosoever denied the Son, the same is he that have not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. So whoever denies the Son, if you reject him, if you speak against him, if you contradict him, there's all different ways that word denied can be translated. If you do that to the son, says you do not have the father. Why is that so? Jesus told us, because I'm the only way to the father. So there is no hope of salvation apart from Christ. And the deep deal is, we're not trying to go to heaven as in this mysterious little place that we're going to be floating on clouds and, and playing harps because Christ never called us there. He said he's the way to where? The Father. And what John is saying is that you don't have the Father if you deny the Son. So there's no way for you to have the Father apart from Son and our destiny is to be with, with the Father. That's what we were created for. We were made in the image of God. We came forth from him and to him we shall return. That's who we are. Paul, in him we live and move and have our being. So if we don't got him, we ain't got no source of life. But the only way you can have him is to have the son. If you deny the son, if you give hope to any other thing, if you look to any other thing for salvation, if you rest in any other thing for life, you don't have the son. And that extends very broadly. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And and, and get real deep. I can get very legalistic, but we ain't gonna go there right now. I'm gonna say that for another time. Let's look at John one more time. A little letter that none of y'all probably ain't even read in your Bible. Second epistle of John. Start at verse 7. Second John. Second epistle of John. I'm going to start at verse 5. Let me read it a little bit. Huh? It ain't but one chapter. Yeah, it's a little bitty book. Second epistle of John, we're going to start at verse 5. Saying, Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after this commandment, after his commandment. And this is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He hath, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. This, this, this is deep. This is John. He's talking about this new commandment, which ain't a new commandment. It's the same commandment that you have from the beginning. What is that commandment? That you love one another. This is the commandment that God has given us. And he said, many deceivers are going to enter to the world. And who are these deceivers? They confess that Jesus Christ is not coming to flesh. So what he was dealing with, it was some people going around teaching that Jesus came, but it wasn't no real Jesus. That it was like this mystery Jesus that came. And he just showed up and did some signs and some miracles as a spiritual being. And he said, whoever them people is, 
they the antichrist. But John, like I said, John is very offensive. And people always paint this picture of John as this nice little humble person that laid on Jesus' bosom. John's very offensive. He make like bold statements against everybody. If you say Jesus ain't the Christ, you're a liar. Like if I go around the street saying that, people call me rude. <laughs> you can't do that. You, you got love me into the kingdom. But John just like, hey man, if you say Jesus ain't the Christ, you're a liar. Now could you imagine John standing on the side of the street walking up into, into the folks on the bike and say, hey, if y'all don't believe Jesus is the Christ and all that Christ entails, you're a liar. And you don't know the son. <laughs> and you don't have the father. Like, could you imagine that conversation? Like, that sounds so rude. And John, he made crazy statement. Like, if you're a sinner, you are of the devil. Like, I can't say that stuff. But John can say it. And now here John telling you that the people who think that Jesus ain't coming to flesh, now he's talking to contemporaries. This ain't some theoretical thing. Like for us, it's, it's somewhat theoretical. Not many of us know people who deny the physical reality or manifestation of Jesus as the Christ. We don't know that many people. So we can read this statement and be like, yeah, man, you don't think Jesus came in the flesh. But John knew folks. And he was talking to people. He's like, hey, if you deny this, you're an antichrist. Then he go even deeper. In verse 9, and it said, Whosoever transgressed and abided not in the doctrine of Christ. So whoever transgressed, that transgress he, he put, I like the way he used it, it means to go beyond or to extend the bounds. So those who go across, the folks who cross the doctrine of Christ, that's why he put them together. If you cross it and you abide not in it, so if people who got this doctrine and they go beyond it, they disobey it. They go exceeding above what it, what this doctrine is. They don't they don't stay within the doctrine of Christ. They don't live within the teachings of Christ. It's like them people right there. They what 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 do you say about them? They have not God, and he that abided in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. This is John. Like if you don't live by this teaching, if you don't stay in it, if you don't remain in it, if you don't hold to it, you don't have God. And the only people that got the Father is the people that got this teaching and they live by it. And he goes so deep to say, and whoever these people are who teaching this other stuff that does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, so don't even invite them in your house. That's deep. And don't say God bless you. That's what he mean by being them God speed. You put blessings on them. You bid them farewell and send them on their way. Like you don't even do that. Because you don't want their ministry to prosper. They don't have God. Like these people who reject the doctrine of Christ reject God himself. So that means if I put my hope in any other thing for salvation, I am putting my hope in something that separates me from God. And it is impossible for me to be with God and not have God at the same time. We can't be with God and not have him. And if I go beyond this doctrine, if I go beyond the teachings of Christ, if I accept any other thing that's not the teachings of Christ when it comes to life, hope, salvation, eternity, my destiny, all that other stuff, I don't have God. I don't have the Father. There is no other hope of salvation. Christ and Christ alone is all that we have. And the only hope that we have is abiding in that doctrine. So don't feel shame. 
if you tell people that you must be saved. You got to believe in Jesus. And you can be as bold as Jesus and say, if you don't believe in him, you're going to die in your sins and likewise perish. Jesus did it. So you can do it. When they be like, man, you heard about them people who, who got shot up in the, in the place down the street? And you can say, man, if you don't repent, you shall likewise perish. Try it one time. <laughs> do it on Facebook to start with. Go on Montgomery City Watch. <laughs> they be like, man, somebody just got shot. If you don't repent, you're going to die too. <laughs> and then the repentance is not towards religion. It's not towards some type of formal thing in our whole identity and our background that we were raised up in. It's towards Christ. Christ is all that we got. So go hard for Jesus. And don't be ashamed to go hard for Jesus. And put all your hope in Jesus. And don't be ashamed to put all your hope in Jesus. That's all you got. So if somebody coming to you and tell you some tricks that are going to help you better your life, if it ain't centered in Jesus, tell you a lie the truth ain't in So next time you be in the service and they try to get you to do deliverance, say you're lying, the truth ain't in Jesus is my deliverer. I don't need you. <laughs> the devil is a lie. <laughs> you do all that stuff because all we need is Jesus. Anybody got any questions? Do people know when was Jesus born or was he born on Christmas? People don't know. They just so guess. He, so he wasn't born on Christmas? As far as we know, he wasn't born on December 25th. That came from some people who worship something other than God. The first fruit um, that Adam, Adam and Eve could not eat, have eaten. Now can we eat it? Can we eat it now? Can we eat it now? No, because it, as far as I know, it ain't down here no more. Because that tree, we don't see it no more. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, we ain't found it nowhere. I think God destroyed it in the flood. And if he didn't, he said he put angels around the garden so nobody could go back. So even if you did find it, you wouldn't want to find it. Hmm? Because he said they had flaming swords so that nobody can enter back in it. Hmm? I would assume so. I don't know what else you're going to do with a flaming sword. <laughs> you better kill somebody. Man. You got a sword with flames on. <laughs> Any other questions? That's it. Everybody tapped out. And they all yours.